You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Security is, is serious business. No one would doubt or question its importance. It is literally mission critical for companies to get right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave got some good stories to share this week and later in the show my conversation with tim sadler from tessian uh, we're going to be talking about a report they recently published it's titled the psychology of human error interesting stuff all right joe uh, let's uh, kick things off uh, before we get to our stories we've got some follow-up from a listener also named joe not you no it wasn't <laughs> from me. Sh- chicago where you are not from no nope. he says uh, hey guys love the show today Uh, Joe's section on OG accounts and email addresses was great and hit very close to home. Uh, OG are, uh, of course, the original gangsta accounts, which are um, (laughs) accounts, usually it's either highly desirable account names. And part of what makes them desirable is a short number of characters. Uh, We spoke about how, um, uh, you know, I have at Bittner on Twitter, which is, I I guess some would consider an OG account because it is a surname. Yeah. yeah. So this gent writes in, he says, I have an OG Twitter account that I set up in 2007, which is regularly under attack. Hmm. Of course, I have 2FA set up, which seems to keep the bad guys at bay. Interestingly, ah. I know that one of the people who's tried to break in is a teenager in the UK who really wants my main Twitter name, as it's a three-letter handle that are also his initials. I have to admire his chutzpah because the very first time he contacted me, he appealed to my good nature and asked me to simply give him the account to be nice. I am good natured, but not that much. Right. He later offered to trade me one of his user IDs for mine. The account he was offering had over 30,000 followers, most of which were bogus accounts he had collected or bought. When I refused this, I saw increased attempts at breaking into the account. He started tagging me in tweets saying nasty things about how I wouldn't help someone who was starting out as an entrepreneur. That's when I reported him to Twitter and blocked him. I'm pretty sure he's one of the people who pops up once in a while to see if I accidentally turned off 2FA. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He goes on to talk about uh, that he does have uh, an email address that someone is using as backup for their Facebook page, Spotify account, and other things. You know what that means, Um, Joe? Free Spotify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Free Spotify for you us, if they're buying uh, the premium account. Yeah, he says, thanks for the good work. Uh, so uh, interesting that uh, I guess one of the burdens of having one of these uh, OG accounts is that in in people's uh, desire to have it, they can come at you and start hammering away at that account. Yeah, the guy that asked me for my Instagram account did the same thing, appealed to my good nature. And I said, no. <laughs> this is this is not just my Instagram <laughs> handle. This is my handle everywhere on the internet. No, you can't have this. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Joe, for sending that in. Uh, that is an interesting follow-up for sure. Joe, why don't you uh, kick things off with our stories this week? I will start with a story from hackread.com. This is by Sudius Asif. I hope I'm getting the accents right in that name. And if I'm not, <laughs> I apologize in advance. But this article talks about a new phishing campaign. So, you know, Twitter was hacked back in July. Everybody remembers that, right? Where with the, and the arrests have been made and it was a Bitcoin scam. And then earlier this month in September, Prime Minister Modi of India, his account was hacked. 
And uh, again, people started sending out Bitcoin messages and the group was calling themselves John Wick, right? How, mm. how creative and menacing. <laughs> um, there is a new campaign that's based on the July hacks. Now, back in July, when Twitter was originally hacked, they tweeted, we detected what we believe to be a coordinated social engineering attack by people who successfully targeted some of our employees with access to internal systems and tools. Mm. That was a tweet from Twitter. Uh, I think on July 15th, that's what the date in this article has. So now there's this phishing email and it says, we are aware of a security incident affecting Twitter accounts. We are investigating and taking action to correct. We have detected what we believe to be a social engineering attack coordinated by people who have successfully targeted some of our employees with access to internal systems and tools. For security, you must confirm your identity. And then it says, confirm your identity down here. Uh, another one of these buttons that you should never click on, right? <laughs> and what's interesting about this is that the second paragraph is almost copy and pasted from the Twitter tweet, right? Mm. So they're using Twitter's own language here to try to fish people and try to get them to click on the link. Something else the article talks about is that the fishes came out of a service, a third-party service called SendGrid.com. Mm. And now when you send email with SendGrid, any links that you put in there, you can have them go through SendGrid. And this is probably like a marketing email feature that allows SendGrid to provide feedback to its customers and saying who clicked on what links. Right, right, right. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're taken to another link that is actually a t.co link, which is Twitter's own link shortening service. Hmm. From there... Users are redirected to a domain called twittersafe.com, which actually hosts the phishing landing page. And this is the uh, credential harvesting page. And they're just looking for usernames and passwords so they can access and, and take over these Twitter accounts. Hmm. Any advice for folks to protect themselves? Well, of course, the advice is never click the link, right? Um, yeah. That's piece of advice number one. And again, just like what Joe said, our, our listener Joe, if you enable multi-factor authentication, that makes it exponentially more difficult for these, these people to try to get access to your Twitter account. Even if you give them your username and password and, and you're using an SMS code texted to you for any web page, that increases their level of difficulty immensely. They have to specifically target you and then they're going to have to call your cell phone company for a SIM swap account. And that takes a lot of time. If, right. if you're just being... Uh, spammed with a phishing email that's going out to millions of people, even having an SMS code, which is like the least secure multi-factor authentication, will stop this kind of attack. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, it's interesting. One to uh, keep an eye out for. My story this week, uh, before I dig into it, I want to just do a little side, uh, I don't know, ex explainer, because this story actually happens to uh, involve our show sponsor, No Before. Really? Um, and yeah, and I have to say, just to sort of to, to lead into this, that um, Know Before has, has really been a, a great sponsor of our show. They've, you know, believed in this show from the very beginning and they've sponsored us for years. And and uh, as far as we know, are planning to do, you know, for, for years from now. And of course, we appreciate that. But one of the great things about having Know Before as a sponsor is they have been really hands off. You know, we, we never hear from Know Before about any of the content that we do or anything like that. You know, they... They let us do our thing. We help, uh, you know, share their message through their advertising and and that's it. And of course, we wouldn't have it any other way at the CyberWire either. You know, we keep those, the, the ad sales and the content uh, separate, you know, deliberately for, for lots of good reasons. So I say all that only because this story is about No Before. Uh, mm -hmm. It's actually a story from Bleeping Computer written by Lawrence Abrams. 
And uh, my understanding here is that Nobefor actually uh, tipped off some of the researchers over at Cofence, which is a security company, that there's some bad guys out there using Nobefor security awareness training as fishing lures. So I suppose on the one hand, it's it's kind of flattering if you're Nobefor that you've reached the point where you're used so much, people know about your service. You have a big enough customer base that this is a believable fish right. for just sending this out is what they're saying. Right, 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 exactly. But on the other hand, you know, no, nobody wants to have your good product associated with bad things. And Absolutely. No before is not unique in this. I mean, Twitter doesn't want the phishing attacks I was talking about going on. Of course. It's exactly the same thing. They're taking a popular service and they're using it as a phishing lure. Right. So the email that you get, uh, it says, training reminder, due date. Your, it says, good morning. Your security awareness training will expire within the next 24 hours. You only have one day to complete the following assignment. No before security awareness training. So right off the get-go here, we're, we're putting the pressure on, right? Yeah, the artificial time constraint. <laughs> right, time right. is of the essence, right? And then it says, uh, please note this training is not available on the employee training portal. You need to use the link below to complete the training. And then it has a, a, a train. Uh, it has a link that at first glance looks like it could come from no before. It's mm-hmm. training.nob.e4.com. Not right. no before, but uh, someone in a hurry could mistake it for being that. No before's domain is K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four dot com, right? Right. And this is the same domain, except they said they've gotten control of a subdomain at E4.com and put Nobi in front of it. Right. So uh, they have links here to go to this alleged training. And of course, uh, when you go there, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to no. try to get all sorts of credentials from you. Uh, the rest of the email says your training record will be available within 30 days after the campaign is concluded. Thank you for helping to keep our organization safe from cybercrime, Information Security Office. So, you know, this is plausible, right? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Here's a tip off from me. Your training record will be available within 30 days after the campaign is concluded. I don't think no before takes 30 days to update your training record. I think that's pretty much instantaneous with them, as it is with most online training organizations. Yes. Right? Yes. I I suspect that is correct. Right. When I complete my online training, I get immediate verification that that's happened. I don't need to wait 30 days. Right. But I think it's worth noting the English in this message is good. Pretty good. Yeah. No real big red flags about that. The only thing that really stands out is that link that isn't actually going to know before. So, not. Interesting to me that this campaign is going right for the center of things, going after security awareness training, using security awareness training the, uh, as the thing to distract you from them trying to harvest your credentials. How yep. interesting. It, very interesting. I'm not familiar enough with Nobefore's products, but I think that you can access, uh, you can always access your training through, their, through the employee training portal. Um, yep. And I like, you know, this message says, the training is not available on the employee training portal. You have to click on this link. Yeah, which I think is kind of throwing a little bit of a smokescreen to the unusual link. You know, right. like, hey, hey, we're just letting you know. We know there's something odd about this link, but it's okay. Just yeah, this, click I wonder how effective yeah. this has been. Does the article talk about <laughs> I don't about know. If indeed this was brought to the attention of the researchers by no before, you know, I guess they... Someone reported it to them or in their own work, the tracking they do of phishing, this came up on their radar. So We went to the, the conference a couple of years ago, and I was, I was actually right. impressed with a lot of the research they do there. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
Interesting one. Again, this is from Bleeping Computer. We'll have a link to the story in the show notes, but uh, I don't know. I suppose uh, <laughs> don't, don't let your guard down and perhaps even be extra vigilant when you get messaging that claims to come from the folks who are trying to train you right. in your security awareness. Yeah. You can't trust anybody, Joe. You, you can't just trust can't trust anybody. anybody. <laughs> yeah. You got to constantly vigilant. Um, right. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how to tell people other than not clicking on the link. Um, but yeah. this email is very compelling. It's dangerous. Yes, it is. What a world. What a world. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, those are our stories for this week. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from user Drewlius Caesar. I guess his name is Drew. <laughs> okay. uh, he's on Twitter at underscore A-C-A-R-T. And it is a SunTrust phishing scam. Hmm. All right. It goes like this. Your email address or phone number may be incorrect. You have received an important notice concerning your account. Through the usual security improvement protocol, we noticed an error while trying to multiple sign-in while logging into your online bank account. We believed that someone other than you was trying to access your account for security reasons. We have temporarily suspended your account, account, and access to online banking services, and it will be restricted if you fail to update. Please note that accounts not renewed within 24 hours of suspension are subject to termination. You may conveniently view your account at suntrust.com. It is important that you do not close your browser window in online banking before verify the account. Closing the window disables your account, and you'll have to start over. Thank you for banking with SunTrust. Sincerely, SunTrust Customer Care. Please do not reply to this email. If you have questions about your account in general, email us through the Secure Message Center. All right, so lots of things going on here. Jim. Yeah, this is just really bad English. My favorite is the <laughs> sentence, the, the while logged into your bank account, period. <laughs> yeah. It's a sentence. Yeah, just, yeah, right. just a sentence fragment there. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then uh, we have temporarily suspended your account account and access to online banking services. So they have suspended your account <laughs> twice. Yeah. Um, and of course, here's, be sure. <laughs> yeah, here's the uh, immediate call to action. The, the time, the time pressure, you have 24 hours be, uh, before your account is terminated. Yeah. So uh, there is a, a, a legit SunTrust logo in here. Uh, and it looks like the last few sentences were just copied and pasted out of a legit SunTrust bank communication. So that lends some legitimacy to it. The other thing that strikes me about this is where they say it's important you do not close your browser window in online banking before verify the account, which means I, I suppose whatever they're doing behind the scenes is counting on the fact that you are logged into your account when you go to whatever they're doing. Right. Right. So somehow I don't know if they're able to leverage the fact that you're logged into your account and jump into that from you know, whatever it is they're doing. But that's interesting that they Yeah, maybe they're they exploiting some, that out. some browser vulnerability that lets right. them do that. Uh, Could be, my guess yeah. is that this is just a phishing, uh, credential harvesting phishing site. But maybe they have something running on the back end that tries to uh, tries to do that. These banking websites, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, they, they will log you out pretty quickly. Right. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Tim Sadler. He's been on our show before. He's from an organization called Tessian. And they recently published a report called The Psychology of Human Error. Here's my conversation with Tim Sadler. We commissioned this report because we believe that it's human nature to make mistakes. 
but people control more sensitive data than ever before in the enterprise. So there's customer data, financial information, employee information. And what this means is that even the smallest mistakes, like accidentally sending an email to the wrong person, clicking on a link in a phishing email, can cause significant damage to a company's reputation and also cause major security issues for them. So we felt that businesses first need to understand why people make mistakes so that in the future they can prevent them from happening before these errors turn into things like data breaches. Well, let's go through some of the findings together. I mean, it's interesting to me that, you know, right out of the gate, the first thing that you emphasize here is that people do make mistakes. Absolutely. They, they do make mistakes. And I, I think that that is human nature. Um, we think about our, our daily lives and the things that we do. We factor in human error and we factor in that we will make mistakes. And something I always come back to is if we think about something we do, you know, many of us do on a, on a daily basis, which is, you know, driving a car. And we think about all of the assistive technology that we have in that car to protect us in the event that we do make a mistake. Because, of course, mistakes are expected. It's kind of in our human nature. Well, let's dig into some of the details here, because there's some fascinating things that you all have presented. One of the things you dig into is the age factor. Now, this was uh, interesting to me because I think I think we probably have some biases about uh, who we think would be more likely to make mistakes. But you all uncovered some interesting numbers here. Yeah, completely. And, you know, just sharing some of those statistics that we found from this report, 65% of 18 to 30-year-olds uh, admit to sending a misdirected email comparing to 34% uh, who are over the age of 51. And we also found that younger workers were five times more likely to admit to errors that compromise their company's cybersecurity than older generations, with 50% of 18 to 30-year-olds saying uh, they've made such mistakes versus 10% of workers who are over 51. Now, why, what do you suppose is, is the disparity there? Do you have any uh, insights as to what's causing the spread? I think it is just speculation, but I think there's something interesting in just maybe thinking about the comfort level that younger workers might have with actually admitting mistakes or, or sharing that with others in the enterprise. You know, I think there's something encouraging here, which is actually we're seeing that if you're running a security team, you want your employees to come forward and tell you if something has gone wrong, uh, whether that's uh, a mistake that's led to a bad thing or it's uh, it's a near miss. And I think that you also might find that uh, generally younger people may tend to be less senior in the organization and you know, may not have the same sense of stigma that maybe the uh, older generations who are more senior may think there is. So if I, if I tell my boss that you know, I've, I've just done something and there was a potentially bad outcome, they might feel like they may be in, uh, in danger of compromising their position in the organization. Yeah, it's a really interesting insight. I mean, the, that whole notion of... Um the benefits of having a company culture that encourages the reporting of these sorts of things? I think it's so important. You know, I think uh, somebody, you know, correctly advised me, you almost need a, an everything's okay alarm in your business when you're thinking about security. You know, if you have a risk register or if you are responsible for taking care of these incident reports, if you don't see people reporting anything, it's usually a more concerning sign than you have people coming forward who are openly admitting to the errors they've made that could lead to these security issues. It's highly unlikely that you've got nothing on your risk register. It means that there is you've completely eliminated risk from your business. It's more likely that actually you haven't created the right culture that feels like it's suitable or acceptable to actually come forward and admit mistakes. 
And I think this is really, really important. I think now more than ever, during this time where you know we have a, a global pandemic, a lot of people are working from home and they're kind of juggling their demands of their jobs with their personal lives. Maybe they're having to figure out childcare. There are lots of other things weighing into an employee's life right now. It's really important to actually, I think, extend empathy and create an environment where your employees do feel comfortable actually sharing things, uh, mistakes they've made or things that could pose security incidents. I think that's how you make a, a stronger company through that security culture. Well, let's move on and talk about um, phishing, which, which your report digs into here. And this was surprising to me as well. Uh, you found that uh, one in four employees say that they've clicked on phishing emails. But interesting to me, there was a gap between men and women and again, older folks and younger folks. Yes. So we found in the report that men are twice as likely to, uh, as women to click on a link in a uh, phishing email, which, again, I think is uh, I think we were as surprised as, as you are that that was something that came from the, the research that we that we conducted. And a much lower percentage of folks over 51 said that they'd clicked on phishing links. Yes. And again, you know, because of the research, of course, we're, we're relying on people's honesty about these, these kinds of things. But right. um, it does seem that there are clear kind of demographic splits in terms of things like age and also gender in terms of actually the security outcomes that took place. I mean, that, that in particular seems counterintuitive to me. But, uh, but when I read your report, I, I suppose it makes sense that, uh, you know, people who have more life experience, they may be more wary than uh, some of the folks who are just out of the gate. I think that does play into things. I think that younger generations who are coming into the workplace, who've maybe been used to, you know, they've had an email account maybe, maybe for most of their lives. In fact, I would say that they're probably less used to using email because they've advanced to other communication platforms before they enter the workplace. But I do think that, you know, if you think about people who have had email accounts, you know, at school or at college, they're going to be used to being faced with uh, potential scams, potential phishing. They've maybe already been through many kind of forms of education, training, awareness, those kinds of things before they've actually entered the world of work. Yeah, another thing that caught my eye here was that you found that tech companies were most fallible. And, and it seemed to be that the, the pace at which those companies run uh, had something to do with it. Yeah, I think there's something interesting here. And again, just would say that this is, this is speculation because we don't have the specific data to dig further into this. But I think there's something interesting with the concept that technology companies, as you say, if they're you know, high growth startups, they tend to be maybe moving faster, where these kinds of things can slip off the radar in terms of their, their security focus or the security awareness culture they create. But the other thing, and I think something to be aware of is sometimes technology companies have that kind of false sense of security, that it's all in check, right? Because they, you know, this is kind of their domain, they feel that it's within their comfort zone. And then maybe they neglect actually how serious something like this could be where they feel that, okay, we've actually, even if we've got an email system in place in the instance of phishing, we've got an email system in place, we feel like it has the appropriate security controls, but then we miss out the element of actually making sure that the person is aware, is trained, is provided with the assistive technology around them, uh, and then also feels that they're part of a security culture where they can report those things. So I think that's also an important factor too. 
So one of the interesting uh, results that, that came through your research here is the impact that stress and fatigue have on workers' ability to kind of detect these things. Yeah, and this is a really, really important point. So 47% of employees cited distraction as the top reason for falling for a phishing scam. And 41% said that they sent an email to the wrong person because they were distracted. The interesting thing I think there is that another stat that came out from this, 57% uh, of people admitted that they were more distracted when working from home, which is, of course, Mm -hmm. a, a huge part of the population now. So this point about distraction seems to play a a really important factor in actually the fallibility of of people with regard to phishing. And then further, 93% of employees said that they were either tired or stressed at some point during the week. And one in 10 actually said that they feel tired every day. And then the sort of partner stat to that, which is important, is that 52% of employees said that they make more mistakes when they're stressed. And of course, tiredness and being stressed play hand in hand. So these are really, really important things for companies to take note of, which is you have to also think about the well-being of your employees with regard to how that impacts your security posture and your ability to actually prevent these kinds of uh, human errors and mistakes from taking place. Right. Giving the employees the time they need to to recharge and making sure that they're you know, properly tasked with things where they can meet those requirements that you have for them. I mean, that's an investment in security as well. Completely. And I think what's really difficult is that security is is serious business. No one would doubt or question its importance. It is literally mission critical for companies to get right. Some companies take a draconian approach when it comes to security and they penalize or they're very heavy handed with employees when they get things wrong. I think, again, it is really important to consider the security culture of an organization and actually creating a safe space for people to share their vulnerability from a security perspective, things that they may have done wrong, and actually then having a security team or a security culture that helps that person with the error or the issue that that may arise versus just creating an environment where if you do the wrong thing, then you, you know your, your job or your role might be in jeopardy. And again, it is a balance because you need to make sure that people are never being careless and there is a responsibility that we all have in terms of the security posture of our organization. But what this report shows is that those elements are really important. You know, we don't want to contribute to the distraction. We don't want to contribute to the stress and tiredness of our employees. And even outside the security domain, if you do have an environment that that doesn't create a balance for employees, you are at a higher risk of suffering from a security breach because of the likelihood of human error with your employees. All right, Joe, what do you think? I really like that interview. Uh, Tim makes some really great points. The first thing he says is at Tessian, they believe that people are prone to mistakes, right? Of yeah. course we are, right? But why in the real world do we act like we're not? That is what what struck out to me is immediately that the fact that Tim even needs to say this or that somebody needs to say this, that people are prone to mistakes. We act as if we're not prone to mistakes. And then the driving analogy is a great analogy, right? If everybody does everything right in a car, nobody would ever have an accident. But as we all know, that is not the case. Accidents happen. <laughs> yeah, I think of public health too. You know, I, I often use the example of 
you can do everything right. You can wash your hands. You can, you know, be careful when you sneeze and clean surfaces and all that stuff. But still, no matter what, every now and then, you're still going to get a cold. Younger people are more likely to say that they've made mistakes than older people. And I agree with Tim's speculation on the disparity of the responses across age groups. Younger people have less to lose than an older person who might be more senior in the organization. I also think that an older person might be more experienced with what happens when you admit your mistakes. And that comes <laughs> to my next point, which is culture. And that is probably the single most important thing in a company. And this is my opinion, of course, but this is so much more important when we get to security. It needs to be open and honest and people need to absolutely not fear coming forward about their mistakes in security. This is something that I've dealt with throughout my career, even before I was doing security with people making mistakes. If, if somebody tries to cover up a mistake, that makes the cleanup effort a lot more difficult. And it's totally natural to try to do that. You're like, oh, I made the mistake. I better correct it. If you don't have the technical expertise to correct it, you're actually making more work for the people who, uh, who have to actually correct it. Yeah. And also, I think there's that impulse to sort of try to ignore it and hope it goes away. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that happens too. I find this is interesting. Men are twice as likely to click on a link than women. Older users are less likely to click on a link. I think that comes from nothing but experience. You and I are older. Uh, we've had email addresses for years and years and years. I've been on the internet longer than a lot of people have been alive. I know how this works. And younger people may not have that level of experience. Plus, I think younger people are just more trusting of other people. And as we get older, we, of course, become more jaded. Tech companies have a false sense of security because this is their domain. That's one of the things Tim said. I, I think that's right. You know, that's not going to happen to us. We're a tech company. Things are still going to happen to you because, like Tim says very early in the interview, people make mistakes. All right. Well, again, our thanks to uh, Tim Sadler from Tessian for uh, joining us this week. We appreciate him taking the time. Again, the, the report is titled The Psychology of Human Error. And that is our show. Of course, we want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.